Sooners of Oklahoma, 12-0 and still looking for respect nationwide. What is going on, Sooner Nation? You are tuned in to another episode of the Barry and Mac Show. As always, myself, Barry, personal trainer and sports performance coach out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And alongside me, former Sooner wide receiver and national champion off of the 2000 Sooner football team, Mr. Damian Mackey. Dmac, how you doing today, man? What's going on, B? Doing well, man. I uh got we got two stacks. We got to go get the three P next week, man. Feeling feeling pretty good. Love it, and guys, remember go leave us a rating and review right now. Make sure you follow the social at Barry and Mac SHW on Twitter. Instagram is at the Barry and Mac Show, and uh, go check out the conversation going up at Sooners three sixty. But uh, Damian Mackey. The the big deal going on this week, man, is that the Sooners are two and zero. Oh, they get the much needed road win because at this point they're trying to get to a bowl, man. And and every win is just another one kind of stacked on top of another. They go up to Ames. They have a it it is an ad performance. But we'll talk about uh, some of the details uh, of the game, some of the you know specifics, if you will. But bird's eye, you know, sort of 3,000 foot view after seeing the Sooners, they're got coming off the bye week. They got a few guys healthy. Some younger guys got some more run. What is your opinion now of this football team? Did it change? Is it the same? Is it worse? Where do we stand? You know, I look at it right now and I, I say to myself, um, Basically, to build upon what we said last week is we've got to take it one week at a time. If we play next week, the style of football we played yesterday, we we won't necessarily win. And I think when you play in Iowa State, there's a certain style of football you have to play. And so us being willing, like I said, why, take the field goals. There were a couple of times, especially the first field goal we took. It seemed to me like that took the lid off of the pressure and allowed some of it to release just by virtue of scoring first, having a lead. And so in that game, that style uh, is appropriate. I think it was good. And so I look at that game and I say, OK, next we play Baylor. Right. And and I we obviously we want to take points when we can against Baylor, too. But you also ask yourself, like, if we play the way we did give up two fourth down conversions, right? Turn the ball over early in the game, going in a score, you know, give up possessions, right? Some plays were, were even Dylan left plays on the field. Uh, that should be at minimum an opportunity to make a play on the ball. I don't think we're able to play the game that way, but there are also some things that'll sway in our favor against Baylor. I think we will be a little more successful with our run game. Right. I think there was there is a little more um, opportunity for us to be physical against them. By the way, they're going to be physical as hell on defense, but there's some opportunity for us. So looking at it, you know, from a bird's eye view, uh, we got the win. But some unusual suspects are going to have to step up next week again to help us win that game. It's not going to be able to look the same. We don't have the formula with how we won today or yesterday 
and, and say we can depend on that being the successful formula the rest of the season. The beauty is we've stacked two wins together, right? We've subsided some of the um, concern with some of our primary recruits and, and showing them, you know, an opportunity for growth in the system. And, uh, you know, we got an opportunity to really build some momentum and, and give guys some stuff to be excited about in the second half of the season. If I'm BV, I break the season down into two seasons and, and, and he's been talking about what they're going to do this second half and what are some of the things that they can accomplish, um, from a program standpoint. I, I think he checks some box, Barry, some boxes. Box number one is we didn't give up the, the, the crazy 50 yard blown coverage. Somebody's running free 20 yards behind the defense. Check. What I think we can now say the defense's leader is probably 23, 23. And then of course, five coming back are guys who 23 is on the cusp of not just playing winning football, but being a dominant player. Right. He's a guy that teams may start to scheme just because of some of the things he's shown that he's done the last three weeks. Check. And then, of course, on offense, sustained drives and getting a lead early. I feel like us scoring first is something that's probably, because of our fragile makeup now, essential. I'd be willing to bet for the rest of the season in games we score first, the likelihood of us winning a three to four three out of four versus games we don't score first, just because I think that added confidence helps them. I wouldn't be surprised to see BV take the ball more often as, as often as mm. possible if they have the chance. Um, yeah, 100, 100, 100%. And then some of the, um, last but not least, some of the, I think, just the um, the tech issues, the technique issues that DG had early in the year where he was consistently high. Right. He was missing wide open guys just by throwing it two feet over their head. It seems like something that they looked, went back, looked at film and he corrected. Obviously, we had fingertip esque bomb plays, and we'll talk about that later. You know, plays where we throw a bomb and we miss it by an inch or six inches, or the receiver just flat out drops it. Um, but connecting on those chunk plays and being more in sync, it looks like we're closer. And that's good news too. So looking at the program, I'm excited, cautiously optimistic. I am not yet prepared to say we're going to win against Baylor. I just, you know, that, that, that is not something that I think is a foregone conclusion. We'll see about the week of practice. We'll see about who continues to get healthy and, and what happens between now and next Saturday. I think it goes a long way for their confidence that they were able to go get a road win against a team who, although this year has not been, you know, as good as the, as they've been in the past few years, has still been a team that's given them trouble. And at the end of the day, right, you win the game by two possessions. You you, it doesn't really feel like they won by that much. I mean, it was much tighter in the fourth quarter than you want it to be. You know, they had the score to put it at twenty seven. It was a touchdown, you know, difference, touchdown margin for a large chunk of the game. But it's exciting to see some of the coaching pieces that we expected from this staff, right? Some of the adjustments. You talked about uh, some of the the flood concepts you would see from them watching film uh, that the offense came out there and, and was able to run. I loved seeing the fake field goal. I mean, how long has it been since OU has said, you know what, we're going to run a fake. We're going to steal a touchdown right here. And that probably 
change the the perspective of the game. If you only get a field goal there, and then Iowa State's able to cut it to a three point game, right? Or they're hanging in there where you're ju- you've just got a one point difference the rest of the way out. It changes how you play. Whereas creating a little bit of cushion and then also the momentum that you get from hitting a big play like that is just huge, right? Uh, I actually took a little bit closer look at it, and you can tell that they saw some stuff on film where they were going to be able to get numbers to that side, and they have uh, 22 sort of uh, fake a block and then climb up to the second level. He's only got to clear one guy out, and it it was an easy touch. And it was just a fantastic play call and very well-timed. You know, that feels like something that we wouldn't have seen a few years ago. And that game probably stays a little tighter, but you also had a better offense. I get all that. So I do want to start with the offense first. Um, I was kind of debating on which way to go with this uh, for us, but I want to start with the offensive line. The, the past two weeks, it seems like OU has been able to generate more gashing plays. It still isn't to the level that fans expect. And I think that can is just what we have learned this year is, is they're not quite there. However, I believe they um, Iowa State gave up the second most rush yards per carry to OU yesterday, which their second highest total on the season they've given up. So it was against a good defense. OU averaged just under four yards. That being said, Eric Gray is very important to this team. It seems like he's the guy who allows that offensive line to to look a little bit better, just the way he's hitting the hole, the way he's cutting, the way he's getting upfield, making the first and sometimes second man miss. But what have you seen on the offensive line these past couple weeks, if anything, that is different from what we've seen, you know, the previous six weeks? You know, it's interesting you asked that question. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say, you know, the casual fan has noticed that on the edges of the offensive line, our old tackles have generally done well. By the way, Wanya had an uncharacteristically bad game. I don't know. He he looked he looked timid. Uh, but I but that 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 doesn't answer the question about how he's been thus far this year. He has not been a consistent weekly. He hasn't. He's played well. He's protected the quarterback. He hasn't been up to Harrison's, um, you know, hemisphere, I would say, or esque, you know, but he's been playing winning football. The question has has traditionally been in 2022, and I would even say the last since Creed left, even Creed's last season, his partners at guard have been problematic. And we talked about it in the preview on some of the things that, you know, we hope the team will do. And we talked about a SWOT analysis and strengths and weaknesses. And we talked about hopefully having a physicality component in practice this week. And I don't think we saw an overly physical offensive line yesterday. But what I did notice, and I also thought was a really nice wrinkle, is I've said it consistently for the probably the past six months. There are plays where our guys can get a hat on a hat. So that tells me we have a fairly intelligent offensive line, all five of them. And I would even say the backups. I think from a scheme perspective, they know where to go and what to do, if you will, versus I would say Link's last couple of years where it just looked like guys just left guys wide open. Are, are you following me there? Yep. Would you agree even? Yes. Um, and, and just partic- in yeah, of, particularly 2020. 
yeah, in a scheme from a scheme perspective, it doesn't seem to me where that guys just don't know where to go or just or are just, you know, screwing up. Right. They're not just having a mental bust. It seems to me there's a physicality issue or has been one. And, I, and I'm going somewhere with this. And I say that to say, you know, you go into the bye week and you say, OK, we're going to play one of the most physical teams on our schedule. We're going to play essentially the best defense on our schedule. Right. What should we do? Should we a try to out physical a team that maybe our guys or film has shown that we don't have the most physical unit um, that we've had? Or should we give them a, a couple additional wrinkles that they haven't seen and give you guys opportunities to put a hat on a hat? Oh, you ran a, uh, oh, you ran a counter concept that they, it's, it's, it's a power football counter concept. I don't know if, I don't know, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but it was not a zone concept when they were running a single eye and the quarterback would open up one way and, and the running back would take the jab step and then he countered the other direction. That's a power football concept i was right? going to ask then, you that if that was a part of their their zone scheme or if that was something different that they've put in well you can run it through zone my okay. point is when i'm if i'm a defense and i'm scheming against ou that's not a traditional zone a, 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 a counter track that you run in a zone scheme are you with me mm -hmm. but when you create a zone scheme you got inside zone you're essentially you're essentially running an inside zone and inviting the guy the way that they're teaching them to try to cross your face letting him go that way and then pushing them that way so 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 here's what it is barry it's essentially saying i don't have the guys to move people that way so we're going to scheme this particular run play in a way where you watch the first three or four times we run it, it's a wide open gaping hole. I promise you, go watch the film. It's not because we move their guys out of the way. It's because we did tendency breakers. Our tendencies say, well, we're going to run this inside zone concept, right? We're all going to step this direction. And as a lineman, a D lineman, your objective is to cross their face. Well, this concept allowed our, our lineman to give up that, that technique and then take in the direction they want to go. So that's beautiful coaching. And that is the type of thing you can address during a buy because you can't, you can't say, okay, in, in the next seven days, the next 10 days, you know, Barry, what's the likelihood of the guard center, the guard center guard, you know, getting 50 pounds stronger on their bench and 80 pounds stronger on their squat and, and, you know, 60 pounds stronger on doing a power clean, you know, you know what I mean? Through their hips in 10 days, likelihood is very low. Very low. Is zero. is it zero? One percent. That much is basically zero. <laughs> okay, there it is. Right. So we can't do that. Well, what can we do? We know our opponent is fundamentally sound and probably a little tougher than us, unfortunately. Right. However, we do have a smart unit. We do have a veteran unit. Those guys are. Uh, I think everybody on that line has played a ton of football, except Rain. And Rain's a center, which means you know you touch the ball every play. What if we take a little steam out of their engine by in the first quarter showing a tendency breaker that will make them second guess just putting their airbags and try to beat us with technique? I think that's phenomenal coaching. I think that probably accounts for 50 yards. I think Eric Gray and, you, and, and we all have to just shut up and say, man, the kid's a stud. I think his ability to make people miss also accounts for another 50 yards in total run offense. So when I look at the O-line, like, listen, people talk about the Cal kid. 
Um, and, and he's, 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 he's hit or miss. Um, I will challenge anyone who's a film watcher to tell me Congo at left guard isn't a road grader. He's probably the most physical guard. Now I can't speak for the pups because they don't get enough reps against first team, you know, defenders. You know what I'm saying? But of the guards, and by the way, this includes Murray. Of the guards I have seen the last three games, I'd say since Kansas, especially Kansas and against um, who we played yesterday, Iowa State. When Congo's in as a as a left guard in the run game, he moves people. Bar none. I would love for someone to show me otherwise or someone who's a better option. I get some of the kids have a higher ceiling. I, I want to see Bird and Sexton and Taylor. I want to see those guys play. But in the middle of the actual, you know, war, the battle, you, you know, you don't just throw those guys in and hope they get it done. You you go with people who have game time experience, or at least that's what most coaches do. That's not necessarily what I would say because I haven't been in practice. But I'm here to tell you, Congo uh, is, 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 is as much maligned as he was as a center. And, and some of the stuff we saw him deal with last season, and we were all crying for rain. Uh, as a left guard, maybe he got stronger this summer or he's more comfortable on that side of the ball or, or what he's actually playing winning football. He is. And that's why he's eating into the uh, Matuire's reps. It's because he's moving people. So when I look at the line, I say, you know, we have a line that's not dominant. We have a line that's fairly intelligent and people probably won't want to hear this either. And I promise you this this isn't crimson colored glasses. This is my logic based mind. I, you know, we have to hold Beat and Bob um, accountable for recruiting these kids, for the development of these kids, for whatever their numbers are relative to the conference. And, and, and in college football, we're Oklahoma, right? We're not supposed to be a middle of the pack or lower end, whatever, you know, as it relates to an offensive line unit. But as I look at this particular season in a vacuum and where we started versus where we are and expectations, I feel like he's making the wise decision on how to um, take advantage of this group. He doesn't have, you know, he does, he doesn't, he doesn't have the guys he had in 16 and 17. He doesn't have that crew. Those guys were all playing on Sunday. I think all of them are still in the league. He doesn't yep. have them. He what he has, and he has to take credit for what they have produced. But today, the last two weeks, I would say, where the running game is really getting going. By the way, right? Gray is one of the top yards per carry performers in the entire country. Gray is obviously performing at a high yield in the conference. He's probably not going to be a first team guy just because of some of the guys ahead of him. But he's going to garner notoriety. Uh, that some of that has to be. Some of that has to be paid homage to the O line, and it's not as if to say it's amazing, but they're doing something right. I would not, I would no longer call them one of the weakest links on the team. Um, I actually think they're one of the strengths of the offense, especially after seeing what our receivers did yesterday and that abomination of not being able to catch the football. That is a great segue, DMAC, because that, that's where we were going next. You know, yesterday. You know, only 16, you know, receptions amongst all the pass catchers yesterday. Um, but you had a solid, I want to say four drops for sure, right? You, you don't have a lot of guys, at least at the receiver position, you know, catching balls. So just looking at it, you had Farouk with some catches, 
um, but you also had um, Gray and Majors that they accounted for some. Of course, you had Willis with a couple. Uh, Zach Schmidt accounts for a catch. Um, yes, and then Drake Stoop. There you go. And then Drake Stoops gets three. So yesterday, it was obvious that to Farouk was far and away the best receiver on the field yesterday. He was creating good separation. Um, he had some some good plays out there, had the big chunk explosive play, which was, I, I think, big for DG, big for the team. But I want to ask you specifically to the drops, particularly by where they came from. You know, there was one early that would have been a pretty big gainer um, had 17 been able to hold on to the football. Just from your playing time, how is it that that happens? Is that just specifically mental? Is that not repping enough catches? Is that the way you warmed up pregame? Like what goes into a guy who normally has pretty sure hands dropping some early uh, early passes like that? Yeah, you know, um, Mims drops, by the way, the first play of the game is the exact play that you and I talked about in the pregame. We literally talked about flooding the zone. The back stays behind the line of scrimmage. We run the, the play in the hole, and then you run the corner out of the play, right? And then we talked about Mims as the outside receiver, but I would put him at number two so he could be the guy in the hole. Like they live inside. Is that, by the way, no, no one told me that. It's just, I don't know. So that was pretty sweet to see. And yeah, he drops a bread basket. I don't know. Here's how I've seen it. There were a couple games when I played where we had the dropsies. We had the drop sheets a couple games. And, and I feel like one game was in 99 and with Leach, and then one game was a 2000 with Mangino, but both was one game. And and it, it is cancerous. It is, a, it is in some ways a disease. When you see one guy drop the ball, and as a player, like, like you know, we're rotating possessions. When I played, we literally platooned 90% of the games. We just had six guys that were about the same level. And some of us would have schemed plays designed for us. But aside from that, we all knew the offense. We all could block. We all were pretty freaking tough. We were fast. We were quick. So, you know, we split it generally 50-50. I saw a game. I want to say it's the A&M game. We almost lose. I believe, I don't remember specifically, but I want to say that's the game where we leave meat on the bone. Kurt drops a ball. And you hear Mangino, God damn it. Da -da 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 -da. And then Dre drops a ball. Once that happens, you're like, oh, crap. If I drop a wall, I could potentially sit at the bench and then you start to press. Right. So so to me, I've seen that happen in NFL games. I've seen that. I, I fact, In fact, I think it's happening to the Green Bay Packers this season. I haven't watched the last couple of weeks. I know they've been losing, but I know that was something going on in training camp. Barry, I don't know that that's our problem. I, I believe there's a manifestation of um, soft and a mental psyche on this team that they have to continue to, to get rid of. And, and uh, that doesn't mean I think Mims is soft or Mims' psyche is bad. But I do believe Mims is a guy that they lean on as a leader, as a guy they can expect to make plays when the plays are available. And when he doesn't, it exacerbates the issue. And so, you know, I look at it as a mulligan for him. You know, I'm not going to hold it too terribly against him. But, you know, he's playing for more aspirations than just, you know, a 10-3 season. Kid wants yeah. to play on Sundays. 
I'm not 100% certain if he wants to leave early. You know, I, I don't know those things. And if that's the case, one, there are a lot of guys who are playing, winning football, not household names who are killing it that are going to be ahead of him. And two, he's just putting bad film out there. The film is bad. It's not that good. Um, and I want to speak to something that I'm not trying to, you know, poop on the kid, but he's a very fast player. But unlike a Westbrook or a Hollywood, he doesn't play fast when the ball's in the air. He doesn't create that extra additional yard of separation like Curtis Fagan. Curtis Fagan ran a Curtis Fagan sometimes would run a four or five, bro. But when the ball's in the air, I would argue he was the fastest receiver on the team, faster than Dre. Curtis just would go get the ball. Like, you know what I'm saying? And Josh Heupel didn't have a great arm. Josh Heupel had to throw from the hip to get the ball there sometimes, which means he had to put all of his body, you know, power into it. Curtis Fagan was primarily the guy we wanted going deep because more often than any of the rest of us, Savo, myself, Jay Norm, or, or Dre, Kurt will go get it. You put the ball in the air with enough air, Kurt's going to go get that ball. And, and I look at Mims, and I'm going to critique DG. I think Dylan left some meat on the bone yesterday in terms of those chunk plays that make that game a 20-point win. But there's also an aspect that I'm watching, and I'm like, mm, Mims isn't going out there and just being a guy who's saying, whew, he's an NFL guy. He just isn't in us in a vacuum. We see him. He's our best receiver. We like him. He's tough. He's made plays for us. But if I'm a scout, I don't know how many teams have a guy of Mims caliber. I'd say probably every decent power five school has a guy who's a 5'11 esque, 190 pound esque, 4'4 esque guy. So I am concerned about him if he is thinking about leaving early. And the drops on Saturday, again, hurt his film in that regard. Um, but I, I totally, because think about it, Willis had a drop right in the bread basket, yeah. 4v2, by the way, right? They run the diamond formation. We run the quick screen. We've got two dudes to block one guy for both of the guys. I mean, it's probably 20 yards, if not, a, I might be even closer to on your stake if he catches that ball. Hey. Um <laughs> And we drop it, right? We, you know how I feel about that. I love my Sooners, but if God gave me that body, I would be, I'm just telling you, I would have played 10 years in the NFL. And so there's something going on between the ears or something, I don't know, with Weiss because he's letting a kid who's 5'11", basically out physical him for a ball that he's four and three and a half inches taller than the guy and probably has 20 pounds on. He should have big boyed that kid, caught the ball, while the guy's hanging onto his ankle and he's still standing up and he shouldn't just held the ball out with one hand. Like I just big boy you. You're my little bro. That's how I envision a weast type player um, in a game like that. But that kid's hard nose and weast isn't. We, we've seen it for a couple of years now. So it's to be expected. Um, I don't think majors or I don't think the running backs had any bad drops. I tell you what, Drake has a wide open in cut when they run the double post by the way they run the double post remember i told you you run the action with the double post and we've got mims over the top and he throws it and it's just a little too far and then you got you got uh you got drake who's running the, the post over the middle he's wide open he, he clears the backers because of the action we hit drake he he has a big play there so yeah man the drops the drops are are problematic 
I just want to talk specifically to Mims because I think he's an NFL guy. And I think he knows he can't afford those type of games, uh, you know, consecutively, if not consistently. That's going to be something that holds him back, which I believe will put him in a position where next year he's probably going to be coming back as an all-conference returner, you know, preseason all-conference returner uh, at receiver because, you know, right now he's probably a third-day guy. Yeah, I'm I'm probably with you there. I mean, if you're just being objective and you're comparing him against the known data, you know, going back to a CD Lamb who played on a team in 2019 that had, you know, good receivers, but he was just far and away the alpha dog on that team. And he was the guy who made the offense run. And when he didn't play, you really felt it. Um, you go back to what 2009, 10, 11 with with Ryan Broyles. He had some help at times, but really, who was at quarterback? And I mean, then it would have been Landry. But regardless of of his other receiver mates, he went out there and generally performed. And oh, he didn't generally tell, perform. He didn't generally perform. Broyles volume. You know, he was catching 10, 12, 14 balls a game. That boy. Like you said, he, he different hemisphere. He's not he, uh, Mims is nowhere close to those guys. We shouldn't even and speak. That's the about measuring it. I'm sorry stick. To interrupt you. No, yeah, you're good. Yeah, the, but that's the measuring stick. Hundred percent. And and I think that to, to say that Mims is is that at this point, um, and and Broyles, you know, the injuries sort of plagued him in the NFL, but. You know, regardless of what was going on with the offense, however, you know, poor they were performing or however well they were performing, a guy who was able to be a, you know, first couple day NFL type guy is going to perform no matter what. They are just going to consistently put up numbers and who they have covering them, who's playing quarterback, how the offense was that day does not matter. And, and he hasn't quite. Uh, he hasn't reached that yet, you know, and, uh, I think it's, I personally think it's somewhere out there, obviously not to Broyles level, you know, not to CD's level or even what Hollywood put up the, his, you know, last six games at Oklahoma. But I want to talk about DG now and we'll, we'll kind of sprinkle in the backs too. Cause I know we mentioned, um, Eric Gray earlier, but Goes out there, he does have the drops, which hurt his numbers, so he doesn't get 200 yards passing on the day. Ends up with about 150 or just under. You know, had he had those catches, definitely somewhere over 200. QBRs probably in the mid to low 80s instead. Ends up with not not great, but he doesn't throw any picks. Um, yet again, he's been really solid with taking care of the ball. And... Seemed to, as you said, correct a few of the mistakes when it came to kind of where he needed to float certain passes over, not missing guys high. He also showed a little bit of mobility at times, too, um, even more so than he has um, early in the season. There were a few times where he looked pretty quick getting out, out of the pocket, escaping to his left. There were definitely some highlight plays. What does he need to do, and is it even there for him? Um, and for this team, for him to get to that that next little notch, like, do you think he is capable of that to where this offense can be what the potential is, or are, is this just kind of where it's going to plateau? 
Nah, his his receivers did him no favors yesterday. Um, like you said, his numbers are dramatically better. If if let's let's just be clear though, the first play of the game they call a hold, which is ridiculous. So even if Mims catches that first pass, we don't get yards on it. But Weiss needs to catch his pass, one hundred percent. Mims needs to catch the first. Um, it's kind of like a wheel down the sideline, or it's kind of you know up the numbers, kind of a kind of a fade kind of a deal, or go route kind of a deal. But it, it hits both hands. He should catch it. Uh, I blame. I don't blame. I think DG's off a little on the the other play in the end zone that that Mims is diving for. Um, but when I look at when I look at Dylan. And this, I don't know how good or bad this sounds, but like I see a lot of Josh Heupel. You know, Josh Heupel was not. I remember those years. Rex Grossman was sexy. You know, um, Winky obviously was was you know a, a guy that you know. Oh man, he spins it. They were talking about how how good of a a cue he was, and you know a lot of just a just a lot, even Ken Dorsey who terrible, but. By the way, I played against Ken in, in high school. <laughs> but in college, right, there was this perception, Cody Pickett, right? There's all these guys. Yep. Josh was a guy who knew who he was. And I, I there's a separate level of guts to Josh that I haven't seen DG exhibit. But I'll also say, I'm talking about 2000 Josh versus 99 Josh. And we're talking about first season DG. And I think we can all assume he comes back next season. So I think that level of confidence grows, but I, I I'm a firm believer that you can win with with Dylan. I don't think Dylan needs to be anything other than he for us to be where we want to go. Now, if I had the opportunity to take Dylan versus say a, a Jackson Arnold or something like that, it's not even comparable, right? That's like asking, would you prefer to have you know Jimmy Garoppolo or? Uh, you know what I'm saying? A-Rod. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm taking A-Rod or Patrick Mahomes versus Jimmy Garoppolo or, you know what I mean? Well, you know, just a guy in the NFL. So Dylan, Dylan's numbers yesterday, it's part of the game. It, unfortunately, it is. We are, as a quarterback, he's dependent upon his receivers to make the play. And in, on a couple of plays where I feel like he put the ball in a very good spot or at least, you know, just a contestable spot where a guy from OU should go and big boy, a guy from uh, Iowa State, and we didn't come down with the play. Um, where where I see some issues with Dylan and essentially, you know, kind of critiquing he him as a player is his long ball. We talked earlier in the year how good he was at throwing the long ball. And in reality, he doesn't place the ball. And I think you spoke about this. Dylan's a guy who throws it to a general area where the receiver can go get it versus a guy who can place it. Right. And yeah. It's starting to rear its ugly head. There are some of those plays to Mims, and there's been other plays the last three weeks. He's open. And if you have the arm talent and you place the ball where you want it to go, it's an easy catch. Some of those are easy throws that he's missing. And I say that, I say that relatively speaking, obviously, but I also say that in, in, a, in a space where at OU, the expectation is you make that throw, right? We talk about cues. You know, J-Dub makes that throw. You know, Nate Hibble makes those throws. I'd say I'd say uh, my boy Landry. Landry had a gun. Makes those throws. Yeah. Let's talk about Josh Heupel. You know what Josh Heupel does? Josh Heupel knows his arm talent, where it is and where it isn't. And he either takes a Drake Stoops on a play where Mims might be five yards past the location he needs to put the ball. 
in order for his arm talent to get there. So he says, nope, I'm going to quickly check off that and take Drake Stoops. Yeah. Or Josh throws it a tick sooner. He throws yeah. it where his arm talent can still place it. You watch DG, and oftentimes you'll see him when he's going deep, he'll hitch, hitch, and then throw. Sometimes it just needs to be one hitch and let him run a little further to go get it. Because if not, don't even risk throwing the ball that you got to essentially the turn throw from the hip. Throw from the hip means you either have a very slow delivery or you've got to generate strength from your toes to throw the ball. And more often than not, teams, coaches, OCs, quarterback coaches are simply looking for guys who can throw it with a flick of the wrist. It's elbow to fingertips generating or, or is necessary to generate most of the power needed for a throw. I'd say probably 45 yards and below. If you got to throw the ball 50, 60 yards, yeah, you're going to have to throw from the hip. But DG shouldn't need to do that on the 35, 40-yard play. He should be able to do that with his own arm talent. And since he doesn't have it, I think that's the next area where he can grow. Easy fix. I don't know if it's an easy fix, but fixable issue. Throw the tick sooner or don't take that throw and, and take the, especially plays where Drake Stoops is open underneath. And I'll say this and I'll pass it back because is it pretty obvious? I think it was pretty obvious yesterday that we were making a concerted effort to go after them on first down. Oh, on yeah. First down, yeah. they've got to play pretty base, right? They can't get yeah. real exotic because we're, there's there's the equal opportunity for us to throw or pass. First down, it gives us two more chances. And, and, and by the way, we were also willing to run the ball on second down, which is something Link never did. I think that's something to discuss from a strategic and coaching standpoint that really helped us. We ran the ball well on second down, and it put us in third and manageable quite a bit. Um but yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna throw deep to try to take the you know the lid off of the defense on those first down plays, then we've got to make an adjustment and throw it a little sooner, and or take what the defense gives us when we've got them fooled. Because there are quite a few plays they were flat out fooled, and we're trying to take you know the fifty yard home run, and you hit a double with with Drake you know, running at 18 yards, he might take it 50 yards anyway. And I, and I think that stuff we need to be, I think that stuff DG will see on film and say, ah, next year, it's kind of like what I was saying last, last week, a slip 96 Z post in 99. I just knew my job right today. DG knows we're supposed to go deep on this first down play. Cause that's what we practice. Whereas next year, He'll have what coach's game plan is. And then, of course, when someone like Drake Stoops, Drake won't be here probably. But when that slot receiver breaks open on an in cut 12 yards downfield, he'll take the play. He knows he has the highest, most proficient um, chance of completing. That's interesting. You brought up Nate. You know, Hibble was really good at kind of those the, those shorter deep throws, like those, those 25 yep. to like 35. And he was one of those guys who understood that his strength was, I mean, Jason White was able to just bomb that thing. I mean, there were th he could make throws and have them so well-placed at yeah. such a great distance. Yeah. And not every quarterback has that. That is generational type stuff. But Hibble knew that. The, the play that comes to mind, I think he was the quarterback who threw the pass down the right hash to Fagan in 2002. Um, if I remember right, and it goes for like 65 or something, but that's Missouri. Kind of the, Are you talking no, about it's against AM. Oh, for oh, it was against AM in, in College Station, yep, yep, and, and it was well. 
Yeah, and it was throws like that. I'm pretty yeah, that was Nate. That was 100% Hibble. Um, but he was the guy who threw it a little tick sooner. The issue with waiting too long is the more you have to dig into your hip and dig into your toes, the greater variability there becomes of you missing. Mm-hmm. And you the the harder you have to throw it. That's why guys with exceptional arm strength, you know, sometimes can be coached to take a little bit of juice off of it, work on placement, work on putting more air under it, you know, just focus on the mechanics of the movement um, as well. But if you don't necessarily have that arm strength and you wait too long, now you're in a position where you're essentially heaving and you'll still in those cases get overthrows just because you're so concerned with not throwing an interception there or, or not getting caught with, with the safety you know, hovering over and then going up underneath the ball. That that is a serious concern. And I if I, I think DG, his problem has probably been that, just not risking the pick. So he stretches it out there probably a little bit more. But with the better arm strength you have, the less that is a is an issue. Thank you all for tuning in to part one of the Barry and Mac Show post-game review for the OU Iowa State football game. Please remember to go leave us a rating and review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, go follow the social media at Barry and Mac SHW on Twitter, at the Barry and Mac Show on Instagram. Damien's is at D underscore Mac13 on Twitter. Dame that dude on Instagram, and you can follow me at B-Wise Fitness, letter B-W-I-S-E Fitness on both. Go visit Sooners 360, check out the conversation, and we will see you soon.